Hi everyone, welcome to Luxury Voices, the podcast about the luxury world in Asia with a focus on the greater China market. I am Joanne Tang, your host, founder and CEO of Infinite Luxury Group. In this podcast, we converse about all layers and segments of luxury, from lifestyle, travel, to hospitality trends. I will interview key players of the luxury industry from all corners of the globe. We will talk about their initiatives and experiences in conquering the Asian luxury consumer. Discover how leading luxury executives handle this growing market, where luxury spending is the highest in the world, and gain a wealth of knowledge to harness this ever-promising luxury market. Gary Rosen, Chief Executive Officer, Accor Greater China, has been responsible for Greater China for more than 15 years and is known for his expertise in strategy formulation and creative revenue generation, combined with a passion for innovation and transformation. Prior to joining Accor as Chairman and Chief Operating Officer for Accor Greater China in September 2018, Gary was Chief Operating Officer of the Bichester Village Shopping Collection, a chain of the world's most unique and preferred luxury retail shopping destinations in China and Europe. Accor is a world-leading hospitality group consisting of more than 5,200 properties and 10,000 food and beverage venues throughout 110 countries. Accor boasts an unrivaled portfolio of distinctive brands and approximately 260,000 team members worldwide. Gary, it's a great pleasure to have you here on Luxury Voices. How have you been, Gary? Ah, Joanna, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I greatly appreciate the invitation. I have been, I've been stellar. I've been really good. Thank you for, for asking. All is good. I have no complaints. Wonderful to hear. Before we start the core of our conversation, what does the word luxury mean to you? Such a good, uh, you know what, not, it doesn't mean one thing to me. But when you first asked that, the first thing that came to my mind was time. Ah, yes, that's a big one. It is a big one because, you know, in today's fast paced life, whether it's professional life or personal life, the idea that when you have an extra moment or an extra hour or even an extra day, that's a luxury. And especially with people that you care about, people that you enjoy professionally, people that you enjoy personally. So time is the first thing that came to mind. And I think beyond that, there are so many other things that happen in as a sequence when you have extra time. I cannot agree more with you, Gary. You have been based in China for over 15 years, working in different industries. You must have witnessed a dramatic evolution in China as a country and in terms of its consumer needs. Can you share your personal and professional views on this? Sure. You know, it's funny, Joanna, because I, I realized the other day, it's, it, you're right, it's, it's coming up, it's going to be very soon, 18 years that I've been in 18 China. 18 years. 18 wow. years. And I still remember coming here and landing here. And, you know, the, my approach in, when I came, I always believed when I arrived how fortunate I was because mm -hmm. I felt that this was, this was something that wasn't planned 
And yet it was like a gift. And I came here thinking how absolutely special this opportunity was and how grateful I was and the fact that I was a guest. And from that first day that I arrived, I never have really changed that that position. I always see myself, even though I'm here now in nearly 18 years, I still consider myself a guest and being welcomed as a guest here in China. And I think for me, it's been an amazing journey in terms of change. I think the first thing always people, when they talk about change, it's always about the visible change, you know, the this, the buildings and, you know, the shopping malls and, and so much of the tangible. Mm. But I think what's, to me, what I find so dramatically different and so dramatically that has changed so dramatically really are people and their consumption and their mm. attitude and their their willingness and openness. And I, I think people, that to me is what's been so amazing to watch is, you know, what takes so many other countries years to evolve, in, especially in Western countries. In China, it's happened so quickly. And it's just, it's it's almost as if it is just part of life. And that to me is has been one of the things that I think on this journey for me, it's been one of the most wonderful things to watch. So I think in that combination, most importantly, I think people and just the sheer speed that people have evolved without losing the value of, of family, mm-hmm. I think is pretty amazing. And then I think also clearly just the sophistication and the actually the extent in which infrastructure has gone so quickly. So not just necessarily about a building, but I think about the way that the country and cities are so connected now, whether you're talking about some of the most magnificent airports in the world or the fact of the high-speed rail has brought people together and cities together and connection points that have happened so quickly that you could only dream of. And now where you had to fly, you can take a train, you can be there actually even to your destination in a shorter period of time. So it's very interesting because I think it's the combination of both the tangible that you actually physically or visibly see Mm-hmm. And then there's the emotional side of that same that same time frame of how people have evolved as well. Yes, uh, China actually moves so fast. Sometimes even feel that China is uh, jumping different stages. Like for example, in the past we pay in cash, and now suddenly we have online payments, WeChat, AliPay, and actually China jumped the whole credit card matter. So it really jumps different stages so fast it goes. And I remember my first visit to Shanghai was actually 20 years ago, and I found it already a very interesting city. And I was thinking, you know, I would like to work in Shanghai one day. And actually 10 years later, I have been here based in Shanghai, and now it's already my 10th year in Shanghai. Amazing how fast it goes. That's right. But not as long as you, 18 years. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's, it's, it is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. But, you know, it's, I think no matter what, I think even yourself, when you look at over the 10 year, over a 10 year horizon of just even this city as a benchmark, as quickly as this city has come up, when you look at other cities that are outside of this tier one area, you know, a city like Shanghai or Beijing, it's amazing how quickly even the tier three and tier four cities are evolving. And I was in, in Shandong province, probably three months ago, in a very small city called, uh, what used to be a village called Hotsu. Ah, and, okay. And now to see, I mean, to see all these complexes going up. I mean, not just one, not just two, not just 10, 
But if you could count 25 different complexes of residential going up in what was a farming village just a few years ago, it's yes. amazing, just the shared development and speed of it. It is an understatement to say that the last 18 months have been challenging for the hotel industry. The pandemic has, of course, affected Accor as whole, but in China, the domestic market rebounded quickly. How has the last 18 months been for Accor Greater China? Business as usual? Or on the contrary, pressure must have been on the support the group while hotels in the rest of the world were shut for business? I think it's all of the above, quite honestly. So, you know, Joanna, I think, you know, one of the things when we, when you think about China and when we started to feel the impact of what was happening, I actually, I remember it was, you know, January of 2020 and leaving on a flight on the 19th of January of 2020. Mm -hmm. And when I was leaving, I was talking to gentlemen, my head of operations here, and we're saying that obviously there's something brewing. There's a lot of information coming out that isn't very clear. And then by the time I landed, there was such clarity and information coming out literally 15 hours later. Mm -hmm. So when we realized that, I actually literally two days later got on a plane and came back because I wanted to be with the team here. And that really, to me, said it was the positioning of how we were going to handle whatever this was going to be. Mm -hmm. So clearly when we went through the pandemic in China, the start of it together as a team, one of the things that we, we, we started it off with was not just about obviously looking at what was happening, cost management, looking after our people, looking after our owning partners, looking after the hotels, looking after the corporate team. It was about, okay, this is happening. This is a good part of our day, but we are going to get through this. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, I don't want us to just spend our time thinking about crisis management today, but let's balance that plan, that crisis management with what are we doing when we come out of this? Mm. I thought that, and that was critical when you think about it from an overall business and commercial standpoint, but it was also important emotionally that people were looking beyond, you know, that time where people were at home. Mm -hmm. And so that really, that really helped people frame, frame the mind, their minds up to say, you know what? We have got to actually uh, be planning. And that for us, quite honestly, Joanne, Joanne was really the crux of our catapult, if you would, or rocket launch coming out of it. So I'm happy to say that we actually were well planned to come out of it when, when mm -hmm. the market was ready to travel. We have, we put some very unique programs into the market and we, we did it in a way that was, as we knew when we were tracking how people were looking at travel once pen, once the, <clears throat> they were able to travel again, we created different programs across the country that allowed people to really participate and partake in unique offerings. That allowed us to accelerate our recovery. And so we actually gained significant market share nationally. And it was kind of, we were, we were setting a new standard for how you have to deal with, with commercial recovery on a commercial standpoint and growing our brands at the same time and, and opening new hotels. So that really set the stage. When in terms of business as usual, I think what we had to realize is, you know, supporting the emphasis of, of the government in terms of zero, zero tolerance for COVID, listen, that's a reality. And we all have to understand how we live with that. And so we're going to have spikes and there's going to be situations and there's going to have to be the reaction to that. And so once you go through a couple of those, you can understand then the sequence of time. And so that's been, a, we've allowed it, we have worked through that where we've been able to then understand, okay, if something happens, how long does it take for recovery? 
what's the planning what's the planning process to go through it what's going to recover first and how do we accelerate that so it's almost become almost like an operating procedure <laughs> so it does go up and down we certainly have played our part during certainly the worst times in other parts of the world and we will continue to play our part in terms of driving recovery here knowing that there are of course going to be different times you know even like we're in right now where there are going to be you know new cases and we have to be understand what that means and how we react to them and proact and proactively plan for them yes that's uh very good that you already thought so far out so most of the companies will be uh, focusing on crisis management communication but you were already thinking ahead what we would do when you come out of this yes. that's quite uh, impressive yes that I tell you, and as I said, I wouldn't underestimate Joanne the the impact that that had for people, both obviously from a you know from a traditional professional standpoint in, in their everyday work, but also emotionally that they had things to they were looking forward to actually mm. the recovery and people's people traveling again, and that that also was was meaningful and it created a lot of momentum internally and with the partners that we work with as well. Great. Great challenges also came with great opportunities. Has the pandemic unearthed any opportunities for Accor Greater China? Well, the answer is yes. It is. It's been very interesting on a couple levels. Number one, new new commercial programs that we and and strategic partnerships that we created and also expanded. Mm -hmm. The pandemic allowed us that opportunity. I had to say what we've created over time and very in a bespoke manner with, with Trip.com and also with Alibaba, both strategic partners. If I think about development opportunities, the way that we handled the, you know, during the, the most challenging times and, and working with our owning, current owning partners allowed them to see really how Accor shouldered the burden with them. That opened up more opportunities for growth with existing owners but also wow. continue to enhance our reputation with new potential owners. And we've had an, actually a record record year for, for new signings, especially in the area of luxury. Wow. Uh, yes. Yeah. A record year for new hotel signing. Yes. Wow. Yes. So that's, you know, people necessarily don't traditionally think about that, but that was really something that er we earned that, that position and that reputation. And it's really paid off immensely in terms of, uh, new partners trusting us, new partners understanding our brands and recognizing that the positive impact that we, you know, that we work with, especially on an operational level to maximize their returns. Yes. So they saw how well you handled the crisis and then they got as well interested in uh, partnering with you. Indeed. Indeed. Countries have started to reopen their borders to an international travel. Europe is mostly open, Australia recently, now North America. It's not yet the case in Greater China. In 2020, you said in a video, we are confident with Chinese passion for travel and they will be excited to begin to travel out of China just as soon as possible. Like many countries during the pandemic, Chinese travelers have discovered how much beauty and diversity their country have to offer. Do you still feel the same way about the desire to travel abroad once outbound travel is made possible? I absolutely do. I think what's interesting is I think there's a balance. Mm -hmm. I think that no matter what people have have discovered, in some cases rediscovered the beauty of, of China. I think people 
took the time over the last year and a half to go to places that they necessarily had not been before and realized the dynamic, really diversity that within the country, the places and the uniqueness, the cultures, the food, everything. And I think that won't change. I think if anything, you know, what I love about the Chinese approach to travel is it's such a quest for discovery and learning that I think that's going to continue domestically. And I think it's going to rebound and continue to go on an international basis as well. And I think people are going to not take travel for granted anymore. I think people are going to even appreciate it even more as they do travel out. And I think it will, I think people will gradually continue, you know, will, will, I think there'll be those that will immediately travel outbound when they have the opportunity. And I think those that will continue to travel domestically and, and schedule something internationally, I think people are just going to do kind of what, what is an outcome of the, pandemic. And that was people are going to look for what makes sense for them and they're going to plan accordingly. So I think domestic is going to continue to grow. I mean, you know, China will, is destined to become the largest domestic travel market by 2030. And that still is balanced by people's desire you know, to travel. And China will continue to be the largest outbound market and feeder market for many, many markets around the world. Yes, I fully agree with you. Although China has many beautiful places, But traveling outbound overseas, there's so much to explore. And I as well agree with you that the travelers will be appreciating even more traveling outside of China. How are you keeping the international Chinese traveler excited while borders are closed? Telling stories and sharing stories. And I think that's what we're doing mostly. When when we look at how we're communicating with, with people, we're sharing about even through our WeChat different groups and different sites that, you know, what's happening around the world and not just talking about only what's happening in China, but we're talking about our brands. And so our brands are global brands. Our brands are regional brands. And so we are sharing what's happening so people can get a sense. And then on their own plan, what makes sense for them if they want to go visit the new raffles that will be opening in London or the new Fairmont that's opening in Dubai, you know, they can make those decisions, but we are continuing to educate and inform people about everything that we're doing around the world. And, you know, that's in that's in the area of hotel development and openings. That's in our partnerships, you know, for example, like Paris Saint-Germain Football League. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that football, the, their biggest fan base is here in China. So we yeah. tell what's going on with PSG. <laughs> you know, that's an important piece. And I think the other piece is that we're working towards sustainability. We want people to know how we're how we're creating innovation within the whole world of sustainability and ESG. So they can see that as well in different parts of the world. And especially now where there's such a focus on ESG, ESG here in China and sustainability between France and China. These are the two countries leading the world now in ESG. And so we want to share what's happening in France and we want to share with with in France what we're doing in China. Great. You briefly mentioned about this just before the pandemic in November 2019, during the China International Import Expo, you announced a strategic collaboration with Alibaba Group Mm -hmm. to develop a series of digital applications and loyalty programs to improve the consumer and travel experience over the following five years. Can you explain for our audience what this partnership entails, Gary? Absolutely. So it's interesting, you know, when we did this collaboration and I can close my eyes and it's vivid (laughs) in terms of that signing that we did together in Beijing. And, 
you know, there was the onset that it really was a, it started with this desire that they wanted to be innovators and they wanted to disrupt the market. And so did we. And mm-hmm. so when you have two people with like mindsets, it's just natural that you come together. Mm-hmm. So our plan really started with that. The fact that we had a joint, a joint approach that we wanted to do things that were different in China and for the consumers and bring the consumer forward from a travel standpoint. The plans that we created were about really tapping into the ecosystem that Alibaba is known for and connecting in, in especially in the world of luxury and lifestyle, which we as Accor are known for. So that was really the second step of defining what we wanted to do. And so we know that leveraging the way that people le- uh, work within the ecosystem of Alibaba and the fact that we understood our consumer, especially from the luxury and lifestyle standpoint, we've been able to create programs throughout the year. And actually, I have to say, actually, we lo- came out of the pandemic in May 2020 with Alibaba. And so we had been working with them while things were actually closed down, you know, in terms of where travel was not taking place. As I mentioned earlier, proactively having programs together to launch. And so that's developed over time. Today we do have a, we have joint loyalty working together. That's on, uh, on the flea site. Uh-huh. We've done programs together through, uh, Baba VIP, through 88 VIP. And we just actually worked with them on double 11. And we had the most successful program out of any travel category for the launch, which we featured our new Fairmont Sanya in Haitang Bay. And that program was innovative on its own. And so we're, it's never one thing with Alibaba. We're always doing different things that really work within their ecosystem against truly, especially the luxury traveler and the luxury travel, uh, the one, the, the, those that like to plan and consume luxury travel within their ecosystem. Ah, excellent. So the pandemic didn't alter those plans. You managed to roll out different programs and campaigns with uh, Alibaba Group? If anything, it accelerated, Joanne. It accelerated oh, wow. planning, which has been great, which has been great. And does this partnership include Accor Global portfolio? It certainly does, and it will, especially, you know, with Outbound, absolutely will. And, you know, when those those plans are in place for as soon as the borders open, uh, be able to work with uh, within the ecosystem for Chinese traveling Outbound. And also, for those that perhaps, you know, whether it's regional, whether it's to Europe, whether it's to America. And that's the beautiful thing about that partnership as well. In the recent years, even pre-COVID, we witnessed changes in the luxury Chinese traveler. As they have already trotted around the globe, they tend to look for unique places, especially when it comes to choosing a destination and a place to stay or brand. Accor has a growing portfolio of luxury brands such as Ruffles, Orient Express, Fairmont, and many more. Some brands are present in China today, some not. How are you developing a following for the lesser known brands in greater China to attract the Chinese luxury traveler? Such a great question. You know, I, I think that what we're doing is we're bringing brands into China as there is a need for them. And I think for us, especially when you're in the space of luxury and, and lifestyle, you have to find the combination of the right location with the right owning partner. And once you find that, then you can actually decide, gee, do we, is the brand existing today in China or is there something so unique that we can bring it in to China that makes sense for the destination and the style and the, and the approach that the owning company will have as well of the asset. So for us today, it really is about where's the market going? We have a big emphasis now, obviously, on the lifestyle, especially on the luxury standpoint, 
and lifestyle standpoint. We have are going to be launching our first Mondrian, actually in Hong Kong. And then we have other projects right now in the works for bringing So, uh, which is another lifestyle, high-end luxury, uh, a luxury lifestyle program brand here in China that's coming into China. We foresee really there are, when you look at now the portfolio, there are different brands around the world that are part of our new lifestyle group, Ennismore. And we have other uh, luxury brands that are coming in now that we also see a huge opportunity for in China. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have a lot of interest in Orient Express, mm-hmm. but it does take the right owner and the right location. <laughs> and it's funny because I tell you, Joanna, the, the thing that I find myself, I'm never really saying no a lot. I find the thing that I have to say no the most to is there are so many people that want to develop raffles with us. It's so many people that want to develop Orient Express. But the reality is, is it has to be the right location. It has to be the right owner, the right investment, because we will never compromise on those brands because the guest expects the highest end of luxury, especially when you talk about a raffles or what is now becoming Orient Express. So you will bring a certain brand into the market when you see that there is a demand And then you will do this with the right owner and the right location. Sounds like the key to success. Keeping it simple, Joanne, (laughs) not to overcomplicate it, because the more you try and make it complicated, the more difficult it actually is. And and this business, it it, it is a very simple formula. Accor has over 14 global lifestyle brands. Can you tell us what does lifestyle hospitality mean for Accor? You know, it's very interesting. Lifestyle for us actually didn't start with hotels. Lifestyle Mm -hmm. actually started within the whole food and beverage and nightlife scene. And that was built over the years. And that by getting the understanding of how the role of food and beverage in people's lives, and obviously, especially with younger folks, especially nightlife was important. Mm -hmm. So developing those brands actually became, the hotel became an extension. And then what was so interesting is when you brought the three together, it was like creating a powerhouse. And that's what we saw, especially with the portfolio that we have under SDE. So when you look at Mondrian, you look at Hyde, you look at Delano, you look at SLS. And when we think, when we think so simply about lifestyle, it's about creating a sense of community. It's about shared values and it's about developing a place for locals. Lifestyle especially isn't just about for the person that's traveling to that destination. It's about creating a destination for those people coming, but also for the surrounding community. And that's that's really the, the secret of the success of it. And we see that over and over again, whether you are, whether we see obviously as we're developing in Hong Kong and here in mainland China, whether we see in, in Beverly Hills, California, whether we see in London, or whether we see in Dubai, that consistency is what replicates. And how do you see demands on luxury and lifestyle in China market evolve in the next three to five years? And what do you do to prepare it for such demand? So what's interesting is it's only going to increase. These are the two areas are, that have the biggest interest and, and opportunity for, for growth, especially on mainland China. And for us, it's about, again, the right opportunities, the right owners and the right brands. So in addition to the brands that I shared earlier, whether you talk about Raffles or Orient Express, we are also bringing in collection brands because not every potential hotel that exists today 
can fit into a rebranding situation. So, mm-hmm. for example, we're about to officially announce, so I can kind of preview here, preview it here with you. We yes. uh, our high-end luxury collection brand is called Emblems. We are about to mm-hmm. announce our first Emblems here in mainland China this week in Guiyang, and it is the most beautiful, impressive. It's the Guiyang Art Center that's going to become the Guiyang Art Center Hotel, part of the Emblems collection. And it is the utmost of opulence and luxury. And that will become an all-suite, 65-suite hotel with beautiful ballroom space, beautiful meeting space, beautiful spa facilities. So that hotel was existing. And rather than try and force it into a brand, the collection brand has now allowed us to be able to bring hotels that necessarily have a personality of their own into the Accor portfolio, again, keeping true to their essence of the, who they are, but making them part of a luxury collection. Mm, wow, how exciting. And again, great destination. Guayang is actually a very popular at the moment. Yes, I visited yeah. actually just a few weeks ago. Yes. It is for both meetings and leisure, amazingly. Speaking about announcement, just a few weeks back, Accor announced a joint venture with Ennis Moore, the company behind brands like the Hoxton and Glen Eagles, to reinforce your leading positioning in lifestyle hospitality. Can we expect these brands to enter the greater China market in the near future to respond to the China's lifestyle demands, Gary? Joanne, the answer is absolutely. And as I mentioned earlier, the first one actually coming in is the Mondrian in Hong Kong. Next, as a part of Ennismore, we are looking at tribe. We have several tribes that are in the pipeline. And in addition, you will see others coming in. And as I mentioned earlier, some of these brands represent iconic locations like Glen Eagles. That is an iconic location within the UK. And yes, that that's very special that you have to really find If you're going to associate something under that brand, it has to have that same level of perfection, that same level of history. And 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 so Glen Eagles may be more bespoke, but you'll have more growth opportunities or volume opportunities when you look at things like Tribe and mm-hmm. So and Mondrian and the Hoxton. Absolutely. And we are. We have a lot of it. What's being very interesting is we've got a lot of interest, especially with Tribe, as I mentioned, So. And now as we look at Part of Ennismore is also our restaurant brands as well. And so having that combination, complete holistic solution for an owner, is what's accelerating the interest, especially in many of these brands, because we're bringing them the hotel brand, restaurant brands, and those that make sense, also nightlife. And will those brands be able to keep their original DNA in Asia, or will they need to adapt to the local guests? Well, you know what? There's no question that it will have its true essence of its DNA, but there's no question it will adapt locally. It has to. A bit of both. That's, that's the reality. You know, because taste, there are similarities in taste and there are differences. And you can't, you can't force fit something, but you have to recognize where you do keep. It's almost like freedom within a framework to win. There is a framework to these brands, but that doesn't mean that you do have some freedom within that to say what makes sense locally. Yes. Same for, let's say, a luxury fashion brand. Then they still keep their DNA, but still it has to be suited to the local uh, consumer. Absolutely agree with you. That's a, that's a perfect analogy, quite honestly. 
with luxury travelers wanting more space and privacy for sanitary reasons and personal enjoyment, the sector of luxury residences has seen a boom in the recent months. Do you feel or see that the luxury Chinese traveler is also aspiring to this type of luxury accommodation? So when you talk about luxury residences, there are residences for sale and there are resident branded residences for more of extended stay or larger places for people to stay, especially extended families. And the answer to both is yes. We are seeing a significant, significant amount of interest and growth and opening of uh, branded residences for sale. Mm-hmm. But we're also seeing, especially in resort areas, villas and large family style, family type of rooms that are more expansive, larger, multiple bedrooms. So families can travel together, have their privacy, have their ability to be able to cook on their own as well. Because that is another thing that certainly the pandemic has brought. And people do want to have that ability and that choice that if they want to cook on their own, they can't. If they don't, they don't have to, but they have facilities. Where we have villas in many locations under many of our brands, it's amazing just how quickly those villas book up because people want that privacy and they want their choice. So Accor is as well positioning itself domestically in the greater China market to capture this opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. And as I said, they're in resort destinations, urban destinations. And we have also, you know, what's interesting is even within the brands where we have branded residences for sale, we also have extended stay. We haven't announced yet, but we have, for example, another raffles that will be coming up. That will be villas for all villa product that will be for people to be able to stay in, you know, like you would in a traditional hotel. And then also as a part of that complex will be residences for sale under the raffles name as well. Wow. A lot of exciting announcements upcoming. Doing our best. Doing (laughs) our best. Accor is a signatory to the Global Tourism Plastic Initiative led by the United Nations Environment Programme. And in 2019, Accor launched Industry First Solution, an initiative aimed at replacing single-use plastic bathroom amenities with biodegradable solution. Accor Greater China is leading the project. As we speak, the COP26 has just concluded and it's almost one year since this project launched. Can you tell us where you are now and what evolution we can expect in the months to come? Thank you for asking that because we are so, so proud of that. And we were, you know, we're very passionate about that because we wanted to be a part of that leadership here locally in China. And we also wanted to create something and bring innovation that could be exported to the rest of the world. For us here in China, that the biodegradable uh, solutions to eliminate uh, single-use plastics is well underway. We launched with the Sofitel brand. It is mm-hmm. going to be rolling into raffles in 2022. It will be rolling into Fairmont as well. Pullman across all of our brands are poised, and they're actually now just actually going through the process of planning for each hotel or retrofit for those existing hotels, and then obviously as a part of the opening for new hotels. So it's a rolling process and we are excited because we are meeting all of our milestones that we committed to. And, you know, more than anything, I think about not just the fact that we wanted to create the solution, Joanne, but actually when you think about the numbers for us in China, 
we're going to be able to save 16 million just across luxury and premium. We're going to be able to save 16 million single use plastic bottles. Wow. And that, that to us is we just, we want to, we want to show the possibilities. You know, so we, we made commitments about carbon reduction globally. And also the other thing I'll say, it's interesting. And I'm so, I really am so happy and thank you for asking about that because the other part of it is also is it's an education process because, you know, travelers, guests, they, they have a role to play as well. And part of it is helping people understand what, what role they can play. And more than anything, people have been so receptive to it. There's no resistance. People have appreciated the fact that we're taking time to share and again, giving them pre-travel advice about what to bring to really to eliminate use of plastic. And, you know, we're continuing to trial other things as well, all on the same premise to eliminate and do better for the environment and support the effort to, you know, make a cleaner world and a better world for the children of the future. You should be very proud with these initiatives commitments, milestones, and uh, progress, Gary? We're doing our best. I tell you, the team is amazing. It's them and they are, they are amazingly passionate. And I tell you, they just, we all just think about entrepreneurs, you know, what difference can we make? And that's how we approach every day and every opportunity is, can we make a difference? Can we add value? Yes. And speaking about education process for the traveler, Outside of your responsibility as a company, are you able to measure if the Chinese guests value and support these kind of initiatives and if this has an impact on the guest retention? The answer is yes. And I think the interesting thing is we're, we're learning more ways to be able to monitor even close, more closer, I should say. Feedback is the best way and in our guest reviews. But I think what's very interesting is especially the Gen Z traveler. The Gen Z traveler is not not just sharing, they're demanding. <laughs> they're demanding we move in this direction. And that's the beautiful thing about winning their winning their loyalty and their passion and for our brands, and that is they see the difference that we're making. They appreciate the difference. And that's why we're seeing more and more of those positive reviews that do recognize when we are making changes. So you have uh, the best of both. Being Fine. environmental, <laughs> be friendly, and having the guest retention. Yes. Doing our best. Doing our best. Gary, before ending our conversation, I would like to ask you a few more personal questions. Sure. You can answer quickly or you can elaborate as much as you like. Sure. What is the one thing that you're grateful you have learned as a result of this crisis? <sighs> I think it goes back to your first question, Joanne, and that's what have I learned to appreciate time, to appreciate family more than anything. You can't replace the lost time of not, not being with family. Time and family. You must have been under extreme pressure in the last 18 months. What did you do to escape and stay sane mentally? I took up yoga. <laughs> <laughs> well done on you. What kind of yoga do you do? Oh, not good yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I downloaded my, on my own, there are two very good apps out there that I taught myself because I was too embarrassed to go to a studio. So I set up a, a bit of a yoga in my house. Yeah. And so that's been a great opportunity to meditate. But more importantly, I, you know, for me, it's, I've increased my exercise 
And that to me is how I relieve stress. I enjoy, um, I'm a big uh, spinner. I yes. spin a lot. Yes. So on a cycle, on, on an indoor cycle. So that allows me time to think. Exercise and, and fitness is really my escape. Yes, exercise is very important. And yoga is good for the body and as well for the mind. I do that as well, daily oh, yoga. You. Yes. Oh, and Correct. it's great for the soul. It's great for the soul. That's right. So you were talking about an app. My next question is, can you share with our audience, what is your favorite travel or luxury lifestyle app on your phone and why? Oh, so there's I, a yoga app and what else is on your phone? Oh, if I, let's see, if I had to, <laughs> I have to look now because I, I feel like I'm, you know, don't laugh when I tell you the one that I love the most is called Headspace. Headspace. What kind of yeah. app is that? It's about meditation. Ah. It goes back to what we were talking about, the luxury of time and thought yes. process. Headspace is the one for me that, you know, and I, and I tell a lot of friends about it because it really just, it allows you to take that moment and clear. And when I think about luxury and my life and life overall, this is the one for me that's my go-to that I just, it provides tranquility and it allows me to separate for a minute, an hour, whatever that is. It's a great, and it's a great for people that also need to relax to sleep as well. It's, it's, a, it's wonderful. I was uh-huh. introduced to a friend of mine yes. about, a year, about a year ago. Yes. Headspace. I noted that one down. I'm going to look that one up. Yes. Yeah. And talking about a more classic strategy, is there a business or inspirational book that you find useful and that you could recommend to our audience? You know, the one I love the most, it's, an, it's so simple. It's getting to yes. I think getting to getting yes. To yes. Is yes. It's such a simple one. You know, actually there are two books for me that I enjoy very much. One is getting to yes, because you can apply it to yourself. It's mm-hmm. not about the examples that, that are used in the book. But yes. I think getting to yes is just one that is about conditioning your mindset. And, you know, and then it's not a business book, but, you know, one of the most wonderful books I ever read was The Kite Runner. And that, ah, Kite Runner. Yes. that just was about possibilities. And so that to me, those two represent, made a big impact in my, you know, for me personally, professionally. Thank you for sharing. Gary, it was a true pleasure speaking with you today. And thank you for being one of our luxury voices. Thank you, Joanne, so much. I really appreciate the time. I really do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Luxury Voices. If you have enjoyed it and found this episode useful, please share it with your network, like it, rate it, and help us spread our voices. You can find information about today's voice and the podcast content in the podcast notes. Luxury Voices is a podcast created by Infinite Luxury Group, a luxury sales, marketing, communication specialist based in Asia. Please tune in for the next episode. Bye for now.